Hello, everybody. Yes, everybody. Yes, even you. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. And this is Critically Acclaimed, the podcast where we review movies and stuff. And I'm Whitney. <laughs> I totally, I don't know how I did that wrong, but I, I did, and it's weird. Uh, anyway, hi. My name is Whitney Seibel. I'm, I'm also here. <laughs> We've done this podcast. We've made hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of podcasts. And I've never done that before. That's so weird. Anyway, I you know toss it up a bit occasionally. It's quite right. Like we try to mix it up. I didn't mean to like completely. Hey, William, what are we reviewing this week? That's a great question. So yeah, this is a podcast we review movies for film critics, and uh, this week we're reviewing the new releases Deep Water, Adrian Lyne's first film in like twenty years, starring Ben Affleck and Anita Armas. Yeah, uh, we're doing Ty West's new A twenty four horror film X. Ooh. Uh, we're reviewing uh, the new Sandra O oh supernatural thriller, Amma. Yeah. We're reviewing the new Amazon uh, uh, indie oh. horror thriller. It's, it's interesting. It's going to be hard to describe this one. Uh, it's called Master, stars Regina Hall. Uh, we're reviewing a new... Uh, this is also hard to describe. Uh, <laughs> kind of a thriller, kind of a retro throwback. Uh, it's called Alice. Uh, we're reviewing a new family film about the hunt for dead bodies called Rescued by Ruby. And uh, a movie that came out in February that flew under a lot of radars. Uh, but it turns out it's actually really great. It's a Netflix rom-com called Love and Leashes. Uh, and it is uh, it is about BDSM. And it's oh, quite good. Okay. And it's quite say, good. So just a preview, like, stick around for that. I know it might seem weird. That we're this is sort of it. like a, a cutesy thing about dog ownership. You would it's think like, after the rescue by Ruby thing, and, and it sounds like a leading your jam for sure. It um, would, but this is actually a this is actually a very interesting film, and I want people to, get, to take a look at it. So we'll talk about that at some point on the show as well. Mm-hmm. So we got that going on. Uh, There's a lot of movies this week. Yeah, uh, I, I only got to three, unfortunately. That's okay. That's that's, uh, that's on me. That's fine. Uh, but my, the... my schedule is different these days. You, so and you're my, adjusting uh, as well. Yeah, which my is, uh, yeah. ability to watch a great deal of films has been curtailed. You know, Whitney has a great new job over at Slash Film. Please check out his articles. He's oh, writing a lot of really wonderful stuff sure. over there. And a lot of other people are writing really good stuff, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a lot of uh, BJ Colangelo uh, uh, yeah, writes there as yeah. well. They're, they're writing uh, really fantastic material. Um, uh, I... I uh, a little story before we began. Please. I was taken to task on Twitter. <laughs> uh, what did you do? Well, I I, I, I dared. I had the, the temerity. The audacity. To make a sarcastic joke. <gasps> About in, what? In a news story. Oh, in uh, a news story. Like within news, the story itself. Within the story itself. Ah. Um, I was uh, using my, uh, my tool of sarcasm. Yeah. Yes. To comment on the fact that there is an awful lot of Star Trek right now. Yes, there is. Paramount Plus will have, I think, like six or seven new Star Trek shows running simultaneously. It's a lot right now. It's like they're they're just Discovery, Strange New Worlds, Prodigy, Lower Decks, Picard, and they got other stuff working on too. Yeah, and uh, yeah, Yeah. other things are going to launch, and they're they're just all going to be running at the same time. All Star Trek all the time. Uh, and so I, I listed all of those shows. Star Trek is coming, and this another show yeah. is coming in Section 31. At the end, I said in the hotly anticipated Star Trek, Boba Fett. <laughs> so you laugh. I get it. It's, I see what you're doing. I, I'm not claiming that this is like edgy comedy I, gold or look, anything. Complete your anecdote, and I'll tell you my opinion on, on why uh, this joke uh, does or does not work. Uh, I was taken to task by someone who said I just lost all my integrity. Uh-huh. By not being a trusted 
information source. Oh, because, because, I made a joke. because you made that said, joke. What, what is this? Is well, this did they, were they actually confused and thought that you actually thought Star Trek Boba Fett was a thing? Yeah, they seemed, okay, they seemed so that's you, the you seemed to, was this a typo? And I said, uh, and my response was, teehee. Because it's clearly yeah. a, a joke. It is a joke. It is. It is a joke. Here's uh, here's the issue with it, and I'm not gonna take. I'm not gonna disagree with you because I think it's a funny joke. All right. But here's how I think maybe you could have sold the joke even better. Mm. Okay. Because only throwing in the one joke mm. and having it actually connect to an actual thing, except one word is different. Someone might actually be confused and think that there is a typo. Okay. If you had continued and be like, and then uh, so it's got Star Wars Prodigy and Star Wars Strange New Worlds, uh, uh, Star Trek Prodigy, Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Star Trek Boba Fett, uh, Star Trek Love Is Blind, Star, <laughs> Star Trek, Trek The Last Jedi. Yeah, like if you had gone a few more, then it would have been abundantly yeah. clear that you knew what you were doing on purpose. All right. Uh, and uh, maybe the joke would have sold a little better, and that person yeah. might have got it immediately rather than being confused. That's I, my thought. I I, I, believe I guess in, I was too subtle then. I believe. In committing to the joke, <laughs> I just think the joke needs to be as clear as possible. Yeah. That would have been my note. Next time it'll be Star Trek: The Desolation of Smog. I like that. That would be a little, and also much less likely for you to make that mistake on by accident. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Well, in any case, uh, we have movies to review. We're not just going to be talking about Star Trek, uh, but we're going to be talking about sex. Yeah, let's talk about some sex. <coughs> <laughs> oh jeez! They're so lascivious you can't even get it out. Let's um, talk about the new film from Adrian Line. Right. It's on Hulu right now. It stars Ben Affleck and Anna De Armas. It's called Deep Water, and it is based on I think it's a novel by Patricia Highsmith, not a short story. Um, okay. Patricia Highsmith is one of the great thriller writers of the 20th century. In addition to writing uh, the talented Mr. Ripley and the quite a few follow-up books that followed this. Absolute Maniacs uh, uh, Adventures I mm. uh, We also She also uh, Did Strangers on a Train Which became a classic Alfred mm. Hitchcock movie um, And uh, she also And this is kind of Outside of what People normally think of As her uh, Milieu Take a drink mm. uh, She also wrote the book That Carol was based on Yeah uh, uh, So she's, And, and uh, Most notably uh, In Pertaining to Deep Water, I'd say The Talented Mr. Ripley, yeah, uh, which was one of the best films of 1999 mm -hmm. when that movie came out. Uh, I think Strangers on a Train is, is familiar as well because she she these well, are stories I, about... I'm linking this up because yeah. uh, The Talented Mr. Ripley, the film, yeah. directed by Anthony Minghella, yeah. uh, starred Matt Damon. Oh, and Deep Water it. stars Ben Affleck, and oh, there is an yeah. there's an atmosphere of but I want one too. Oh my god! Because Matt and Ben you are think, writing partners and friends. You think this uh, is the thing? I get that some of all fears was Ben wanting his own born identity, or possibly vice versa. Hmm. You really think that this is him, like t t over twenty years later, being jealous? <laughs> uh, maybe. Yeah, Ben Affleck, who has actually well, won like, a second Oscar, and Matt Damon hasn't. <laughs> Like Matt, Damon, who's a, Matt Damon, who's actually, I, I think, is a very good actor, and Ben Affleck, ben, who's actually a very sensitive they're director. Both, they're both incredibly uh, talented. Yeah, uh, yeah. Maybe so. I, I can't help but draw the parallel. For me, the, the connection I see between uh, most of those materials, and then Carol notwithstanding, uh, is Patricia Highsmith is an author who doesn't really like people very much. She but has a profound distaste of people. Patricia Highsmith tells stories. Um, you might think of like the the uh, natural arc of like a, a 
traditional heroic protagonist. Yeah. How uh, it sort of like arcs upward. They sort of like build up and build up and discover yeah. new things and go yeah. through a big change and like. And they, they, might, they might dip down a bit towards the end, but then they come all the way back it's up. It's about again, learning yeah. a lesson and becoming a little bit better by the end yeah. of the story. It's about people uh, becoming better people. Just invert that with Patricia Highsmith. It's about a bad person who get does worse and worse and worse things. Yeah. And they do really, really horrible things, but by the end, they kind of learn to sort of survive and cover it up. They and learn then they go to go back to being just a regular bad person. They often end. learn to accept their villainy. Mm. Um, this is a story. A lot of people have like sort of been looking at this movie, and this has been a very divisive film. <laughs> and some people <laughs> think it's great, and some people think that like it's just like why is this so unerotic considering how much sex there is in it? Uh, and for it, me, it's, it's Patricia it's, Highsmith. It's because yeah. there's it's because this is a movie about a sexual relationship that's going horribly wrong, and it. Uh, it's frustratingly not not erotic. Well, I, uh, not not that I it's not erotic. What, there's just not a, a there's not a lot of sex in it, which is it's weird. It's not because, overwhelmingly sexy like the ads yeah, might have you believe. A lot of people thought this was going to be like the return of Adrian Lyon, the guy who gave you nine and a half weeks, yeah. and it's going to be this incredibly sexy, over the top. Oh my god, which everyone have sex just, right now. People are just yeah. get, getting their kits off immediately. But no, it's actually an incredibly mature and very severe and very depressing thriller. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the movie stars Ben Affleck and Anna De Armas. Uh, they are married. They have a child. A very young child, uh, and their marriage sucks. Uh, they well, their the actual state of their marriage isn't really is deliberately left ill defined throughout much of the movie. Well, I'm uh, I'm trying to give you how it's introduced. All right, it's, the movie introduces itself thusly. Their marriage seems to be really really crappy. They they've got some sort of equilibrium at home, but when they go out to a fancy party with all of their rich friends, Anna de Armas absconds. With a hunky young guy who moved into town recently, mm. and everyone knows she's having an affair, and they go to Ben Affleck and they say, "You know she's fucking that guy, right?" And she's and he's like, uh, "Yeah, probably, maybe, I don't know. Like, who are we to judge?" And well, he, he just seems like he, very blase about it. Yeah, he just he seems, seems like he's, to, he seems to say, "How I feel about this is my business." Yeah, and he says a lot of things. Uh, and at that same party, he confronts the young man that he yeah. saw his wife actually, like, making out with at the party. Yeah, and the dude's just and, like, hey, man, you're being really cool about this. Yeah, it's and like, I, I have a good friend, and we're clearly messing around, and you're really cool about this. Yeah. And Ben Affleck kind of toys with him a little bit, like yeah. a cat, and yeah. says things like, well, you know, it's all right, but you, I will kill you. Well, what he says and is... In a very casual way, what, and what he says is that, that he yeah. killed another friend of hers. Yeah, she had a friend that she was obviously sleeping around with, and this guy disappeared, and everyone assumes that he was murdered, and Ben Affleck says, that's because I murdered him. Mm. And the guy's like, that's not funny. And Ben Affleck's like, it's not funny. Mm. I killed him. And the guy's like, oh, okay. And he kind of stumbles out, really freaked out. And then everyone around him is just like, fuck did you do that for <laughs> like that was his wife weird. is pissed the, the word gets out because he tells people and ben affleck's just like i was it was a joke but so they they have him over as like an apology and he like makes him dinner but he makes him something he's allergic to <laughs> mm. uh and uh when anna Dermas is like out of the room he's just like yeah sorry about all this it's fine and he's just like cool yeah it's weird the whole joke with you like killing that guy is weird and affleck's like it wasn't a joke. <laughs> and he, he just can't tell if this is like Ben Affleck like trying to like reclaim some of his power or if he's just a sadist well, what or I, what for a while. And this is the, part of the mystery of the relationship. What it seems is that they have an open relationship uh, mm-hmm. that they, they've they clearly agreed on. More or less, yeah. Like, he like seems she, to have mixed she, feelings about she it. She gets but yeah. to have affairs and he is letting it happen, but he's also not comfortable with that. So. Yeah. You're one. You're wondering throughout the bulk of this movie how their relationship got to be this way. Yeah, uh, it turns into something else because that 
question is never answered. Mm. What the true nature of their relationship is. Yeah, you're always wondering how much of this is something that he's fine with, but he's the fact that he's not fine with it is maybe part of his kink. Yeah, and that it, might it be seems, part of it. He might have the, that kind of fantasy, but they're, might have, they're very unclear on purpose. The uh, I watched part of this movie with my wife, and the the versions of the story, like our predictive twists of this, were yeah. far more interesting than what we got. Yeah, I thought it was going to be like part of this weird murder cult. Or yeah, there's things that I, I don't want to give away too much. No, of, no, uh, but like but, your imagination might run yeah. wild, and you're expecting some huge Hitchcockian thing. It's actually very. Uh, very measured mm. for a lot of it. And there will be bodies, actual dead people, not just hearsay, uh, that pile up over the course of the film. And, and Ben Affleck a... may or may not be uh, mm. directly involved. Uh, we, we know that he has a lot of snails. Which is... Uh, that's that's sort of like his... Yeah. His, his weird, hobby. His weird hobby is that yeah. he co- collects and raises snails. Yeah. And, and maybe the, that will be important and, later. And, and, and he gets to say really threatening things like, you know, I don't eat my snails. To eat a snail, you have to starve them. Now, given sort of how commonly accepted Mm -hmm. uh, the notion of an open relationship is in 2022. Yeah. At the time this was written, this would have been quite risque. Now Uh, it's it's maybe still not the norm for a lot of people, but it's it's, it's getting more and more acceptable for people to like go like not scoff. People go like, oh, okay, good for you. In the uh, the movie, The Voyeurs, they point out, oh, like 15% of couples are just open now. And yeah. um, uh, so it's it's not so scandalous that she's having an affair, and the movie is treating it like it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the book was written in the late fifties, and I think the yeah. movie would have been well to have been set in the nineteen. I I agree with that. I think a lot of the idea of the social taboos mm-hmm. that they're dealing with here, and the idea that like, are you just going to let her do that? That well, kind of thing yeah, would have made more sense in a period setting. Another yeah. thing is that uh, the. Ana de Armas character is an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Like, openly so. Oh, very much she, so, They yeah. say repeatedly that she drinks too much, and she's constantly mm-hmm. drinking. Uh, and in 2022, there would have been an intervention by now. Probably, yes. Uh, it, yeah. you know, one would think. Um, there's a lot of interesting uh, supporting characters that uh, play a disappointingly small role. Uh, there's mm-hmm. Lil Rel Howery. Uh, mm-hmm. There's uh, Dash Mihawk. Oh, yeah, it's, I haven't seen uh, him around in a while. Yeah, it's that like, cool. oh, who's that? Oh, that's Dash Meat. Yeah. I recognize him. I saw him way back in Romeo and Juliet, uh, where Remember he was the flat-top guy. He was Benvolio. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there's also Tracy Letts, who and plays Duke. a who plays as often appears in Hitchcockian thrillers, uh, someone who writes Hitchcockian thrillers. He, he writes, like, real crime this, murder mystery stuff. I love stuff. this introduction. It's like, what do you do? I'm a screenwriter. Have you? Re- oh, have you sold any screenplays? Oh, I sold one. What's it about? Mostly about myself. It's about a handsome young author who uncovers a mystery in a small town. Yeah. And I was like, uh-huh. uh, so he's, so he's kind Let- of, Tracy Letts is awesome. He's great in this way, movie. Yeah. And he's, he's very much a foil and he's going to be the person who just sort of stirs the pot. Um, yeah, it's, it's difficult because there's actually isn't a lot of plot here and you don't want to go too far into it. You want to sort of reveal itself. Um, th- the last act of the movie feels like it gets a little more Hollywood than it needs to, well, but it's I, also kind of exciting and fun. I, what I wanted, because right near the end is when, yeah. uh, you know, there's there's just a lot more action. Yeah. There's, there's like chases and all a lot more intention. Oh, I got to get here before there's, the evidence is found. Yeah, that there, kind there, of thing. There's yeah. a really wonderful scene with Ben Affleck who just sort of turns around and goes, oh, hi. Like, <laughs> yeah. He's like caught in the middle of something that's like really incriminating. He's like, yeah. oh, hi. That, I, just, how you doing, buddy? It's, it's a beautiful piece of acting <laughs> yeah. from Ben Affleck. Uh, and when it gets to that point, it's like, okay, yeah. fi- it's finally launched into the trash that I wanted it to be. And yeah. 
And unfortunately, up until that point, it's not quite trashy enough. Mm. And it's not about the sort of the kink and the sexuality of it. It's just about kind of the misery and the suspicion. Yeah. And that's... You know, a way I to like tell the that story, actually. but it's actually yeah. less interesting to me. I see, I thought that was fine. I actually this I actually like kind of gravitated towards this. I thought the the abject misery of this couple who have an arrangement and the fact that they're not comfortable with the arrangement seems to be part of the arrangement. Mm-hmm. And you never know if this is actually like everyone's totally fine with this, or if someone is like secretly losing their mind over it, but yeah. they're just like it's that kind of suspense is actually more interesting to me than a lot of the airport thriller kind of machinations that pop up towards the end. I was actually really engaged with just seeing how, is their misery actually misery hmm. between Anna Dermos and Ben Affleck. We think are both really good in this movie. I think it's really beautifully photographed. Um, I think Adrian Lyne knows how to keep it uh, pretty taut, even when not a lot's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the ending gets a little too far. I actually like the actual ending, which is not the ending of the book. The ending of the book is very, very different and actually a little bit more conventionally moral. Actually, a lot more conventionally moral than what we get here. Um, so I actually like that. I think that's a good change. But um, I, don't, I think I like this more than you. I like oh. um, I like that it maintained Highsmith's bitterness about people. That, and I think I, I that's... Pre- I appreciate that bitterness. Because a lot of that... erotic thrillers that we sort of gravitate to or enjoy are about people like who will do anything for a fuck. Mm. Like, oh, I will... That's Unfaithful, yeah. uh, Adrian Lynn's yeah. last movie. It's... Un- unfaithful is mm. that. Other uh, n- non-Adrian Lynn films, Body Heat is mm. that. Uh, well, basic Instinct is that. Like, you'll just... You'll, you'll Adrian risk Lynn your, has made uh, several films about uh, that, like, Forbidden Lust. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nine and a half weeks. Yeah. Uh, fiddle attraction. Indecent proposal. Uh, indecent proposal. Uh, Lolita. Uh, yeah. Well, to, yeah. to a different degree, but like, that man, is what that's wildly about. Wildly different degree, and, and, yeah. and unfaithful. The, the one that doesn't yeah. really fit is Jacob's Ladder, which yeah. is not an erotic thriller. No, Jacob's Ladder is probably his best film. Nightmare movie. Unfaithful is amazing, though. I wish more people. Unfaithful thought about is that. really good. Really good. Yeah. Uh, um, but uh, they they had so the audacity uh, to cast Richard Gere as the boring husband who gets cheated on. Yeah, <laughs> he's really good in it too. And Adrian Lin is per, like yeah. he is really good at casting vapid, handsome young men. Yes, he is. Who are meant to be disposed of. Yes, because <laughs> there's there's three of them in this movie. Oh yeah, and they just sort of waltz in like, oh hey, what's going on? <laughs> and just like I went to kill you, and I've only known you for five seconds. <laughs> Like it just turns around and like smirks is like yeah that guy's gonna that guy's gonna, gonna die and everyone's gonna die. no one's gonna care like guy. it's so great that's the thing that's the that's the bitterness that sort of emerges from Highsmith's mentality mm. and so I actually like this movie I like this movie quite a bit I think it's a little uneven mm. but um, yeah I dig it and honestly I think Adrian Lyne hasn't really lost a step I think if he had a slightly stronger adaptation of the material it like it was a little bit more uh, consistent in terms yeah. of its tonality. Uh, this would have been a, a just a better production overall. Whether it was all sleazy or all classy or all mm-hmm. reserved or all over the top, maybe that yeah, would have I been better. Like... But I also think this kind of is kind of interesting, where he's just sort of letting the story go where it may. I, I, I think he's so. controlled think, enough that he can make that work. I think uh, with all of the setting up they were doing, it yeah. was disappointing that there wasn't sort of that moment of payoff. Yeah, and not that I need things to be uh, you know set up, you know constructed in a certain way. Mm-hmm. But if you're leading me to expect something, you're expecting and, like a big moment, and you of some don't kind, do, yeah. I, you either don't deliver or you don't do something clever, then yeah. I'm going to be a well, little bit disappointed. A good example of this maybe is a movie that I feel like it has some tonal similarities, even mm-hmm. though they're plot wise they're very different. Is the, the original Diabolique? I've never okay. seen the remake, uh, but the original Diabolique. It's about two both, women yeah. who are. It's about a, a wife and a mistress who conspire together to kill the man in their lives, mm. and they do so. And then most of the movie is about them trying to hide it. 
And without ruining the movie, it has one fucking amazing ending. Mm-hmm. That even if you were just sort of like, okay, so just two people who try to kill someone try to get away with it, seen it, but mm-hmm. the ending you will not forget. Yeah. And the ending is like, okay, it was worth it to get to that, even though the rest of it's brilliant too. But even if you were bored, you were you were mm. shot back to life by that ending. This doesn't have that. Mm. I think it tries to with a bit of a chase sequence, but that feels more contrived than anything else. And that's yeah. one of the things that they added. It just it, it's a little forced. But mm. uh, I, I still mostly like it. I still mostly like okay. this movie quite a bit. Uh so I was uh, I, I think it's really well put together and I yeah. do like the performances and I do like that it's bringing up all this like psychosexual stuff you know the the yeah. nature of the relationship is the kind of mysterious for a while yeah but I, I think by the end it is a little bit of a letdown uh, yeah. I, I appreciate its construction sure and I like that Adrian Lynn is definitely comfortable with all of this stuff uh, but he like in displaying sexuality and exploring you know the, mm. the potential of a, an unconventional relationship pattern and that's actually the center of the drama yeah I like like all of that stuff, but uh, I-, I wish that just on a story level it had functioned a little bit better. Fair enough. Uh, well, let's move on. Let's talk about a, a movie that you saw and I didn't. Okay. Uh, let's talk about the new Ty West thriller, yeah. uh, X. Ty West is a filmmaker who has made some pretty damn good movies so far. Uh, House mm-hmm. of the Devil in particular. I haven't I think, seen, yeah, I haven't I think seen it's been, all of uh, Ty West's movies. Um, I haven't seen all of them either. I saw, I saw House of the Devil, I think, is actually one of the best horror movies of the last 10, 15 years. I, uh, I, I prefer his film, The Innkeepers. Innkeepers is really uh, good, too. With uh, yeah. uh, Pat Healy is in yeah. that one. And, uh, yeah, it's about two innkeepers who are working yeah. a night shift in a hotel that may be haunted. Yeah. And, and uh, it's not qu- it's not like a shocker. It's basically no, it's, just like, what's it like to work in an inn that, in, yeah, uh, in that and, is famously haunted? And and uh, the gag is, it's, it's actually, like, more like a hangout comedy throughout a lot of it, where they yeah. just sort of, like, bore, and they just don't know what to do, and they're just sort of wandering around this empty hotel, and... Like, hey, what's going on? Oh, I don't know. I'm just bored. And that, that's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, it uh, works. It works. Um, House of the Devil is about yeah. like a babysitter who's hired not to babysit a baby, but an elderly woman who's in the attic and you don't know if she's even there. And it's very, it, it's one of those movies that people call a slow burn, but actually it's like really rich mm-hmm. and it's full of stuff that if you're paying attention, it's not slow at all. Tons of shit is happening yeah. constantly. That, uh, that film, House of the Devil, mm-hmm. is uh, very... It, very openly a uh, callback to like 70s satanic panic thrillers. Very much so. Yes. Uh, it, just down to the like the design of its yeah. titles and uh, yeah. some of the casting. It's and it and even like some of the film grain. It's meant to look a little bit older. Yeah. Uh, the same could be said of X. X is a throwback to uh, late 70s, early 80s slashers. Okay. Uh, it's a slasher movie. Uh, but Ty West is a really stylish filmmaker. He likes to throw in weird things on the soundtrack. He paces his scenes um, a lot differently. He shoots his scenes differently. Uh, than, you know, just sort of like your general schlock. And uh, as such, it's it's a slasher flick, but it's a really, really stylish slasher flick. Okay. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't really have too much else on its mind, uh, yeah. at least not as far as I could, you know, really discern in a, in a palpable sort of way. It takes place in 19... X takes place in 1979. Uh, and a small team of, uh, of actors and filmmakers are going to shoot a porno movie in Texas in this remote house that they've rented like outside of the city limits because right. they've, they've sort of been, there's some implication that they've been run out of town. Hmm. Uh, there's uh, Martin Henderson plays what he calls the, he's the executive producer. He's the one who's putting it together. Mm. Uh, Mia Goth and Brittany Snow uh, play uh, the stars of the show. Mm-hmm. The and, adult uh, film stars, yeah. And uh, um, Scott Mascuti, a.k.a. Kid Cudi, uh, plays the other star. Oh, okay. 
And uh, along for the ride is the director, uh, who's played by Owen Campbell, and uh, Jenny or- Jenna Ortega is like the the sound person. Like she's just going to be holding the boom mic. Oh, Je- oh Jenna Ortega again. That's cool. Yeah, she's it's great. like it's like fourth film this year. Yeah. She's just well, she's every, great. She's just so everywhere cool. now. Yeah. Uh, they get there, and there are two creepy old people. No. Who clearly have like meat hooks in their basement, uh, waiting there for them. They get really threatening. Uh, the husband of this couple is just really grumpy and always has a shotgun and, you know, is just saying, yeah, you, you, I didn't, don't remember you just be careful out there or else I might shoot you. And mm-hmm. the wife, uh, is, uh, also played by Mia Goth in really heavy makeup. Oh, what? uh, is sort of stalking around and is like peeking in on the porn production. And when she's clearly, this old woman is clearly getting like a, like a renewed sexual charge in her own life. Okay. And she goes, she like watches some of the porn shoot and like ambles back into the house and tries to seduce her husband. And these Mm. people are clearly in like their late eighties. Right. Uh, So it's sort of about the resentment they have for these young people and sort of the sexuality that they still represent. Got it. There's a really wonderful scene uh, in the middle of this movie where they, they're finished with the first day of shooting and the filmmakers are just sort of hanging out and the Jenna Ortega character uh, brings up like, I, I don't, I don't understand porn. This is my first exposure to it. Mm. I, I always thought that you know, sex was a little bit more like person you love, exclusive kind of thing. Mm, you know, more and, intimate. And, yeah, yeah. And you're you're sort of just doing it on a camera. And uh, the Britney Snow character actually very intelligently says, "It's just this is for fun." Yeah. sexuality is just part of who we are and we get to do it and we get to do it on camera and share it with a lot of people and just sort of like spread horniness into the world. And that's very positive. <laughs> and I kind of like that attitude in that, yeah. in that one scene. Um, the problem is the second half of the movie turns into kind of like a rote slasher where uh, one, one of the two old people, or maybe both of them is now stalking uh, the main characters throughout a nighttime scene. And they're getting just sort of picked off one by one. Um, it's all very stylish, and it does go into um, some themes of, of sexuality and lost youth that are a little bit interesting. But I think Ty West is assuming that making a movie about a porn production is way edgier than it actually is. <laughs> I remember when Kevin Smith made a film called Zack and Miri Make a Porno. And yeah, I it, it seemed like he thought the joke was that the word porno was in the title. Yeah. And that the story about people making a pornographic film was going to be like way out on the edge. Yeah, oh yeah. People are like, people are going to blow their minds. Like, as somebody who's touched the internet, uh, <laughs> I know that pornography is actually quite common and easy to access now. And the mm-hmm. aesthetics of porn are kind of part of the pop consciousness now. Yeah. So it, it doesn't feel like this, uh, like edgy, daring guerrilla production, which I think Ty West is intending. And it's supposed to be about this punk rock uh, outsider, outlaw filmmaking crew who's going to make a sex film because that's actually an exciting thing to do. Mm. Uh, it, it doesn't fit like that never kind of emerges. It doesn't have that sort of punk rock sensibility. That I think Ty West is going for. Uh, and as such, a lot of what I think is intended to be sort of confrontational or shocking or revolutionary feels pretty bad. I wonder, though, and I'm curious about this, because mm. I was thinking about um, uh, a Jen Ortega film, Scream, mm. the new Scream. Uh, mm. uh, there's a bit where they talk about how young people, a lot of their favorite like horror movies are in the A24 school. Yeah. This sort this, of... This X is an A24 And it's film. an A24 film, but like they're, the, the A24, you know, it's... 
it's weird that A24 became like the horror studio, considering they actually <laughs> do all kinds of different interesting yeah, indie films. But their horror films, they do tend to gravitate towards a very serious aesthetic. A very well, they, they uh, hire uh, filmmakers who have a, a, a particular voice and aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're interested in sort of amplifying uh, mm-hmm. filmmakers who have like something something different to show. You. Well, they have, they have yeah they have they have something to say. They have a perspective and they have a style. But for whatever reason. They're, whenever they make horror movies, and they tend to release a few a year, um, they tend to have a certain amount of, of sort of intended gravitas to them. These aren't a lot of these aren't disposable movies. Films yeah. like uh, uh, you know the what, Midsommar. You and, know what uh, that means? Slightly slower pace than you're often used to. Usually, That's kind of kind of all it really alludes to. But what's interesting is that I think that there is a generation that is growing up with those movies that is not used to that, not used to horror movies. Like maybe we took for granted growing mm-hmm. up with films like Rosemary's Baby and The Exorcist where there was a certain seriousness to it so there was an actual like confident place domestic dramas as well as being harmony yeah exactly and i think that maybe for people who are sort of used to the a24 aesthetic maybe x actually will blow their minds if they're like young and they're being introduced to horror through this particular uh uh, not genre but through this particular Mm, distributor house aesthetic yeah Yeah. maybe i don't i would say there there is there is a lot of violence in the movie there's a lot of gore you know heads get crushed and body parts Mm. explode and people are eviscerated i was in midsommar too you know uh just just a good deal of blood and uh there's a a really wonderful sequence where um someone is stabbed at night in front of a car with its headlights on and the blood sprays onto the headlights and the whole scene turns red. That's fun. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, Everyone's having a good time with that. Yeah. So I, I don't, I know that extreme violence is, is a little bit déclassé right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't, we, you and I see those movies because we seek out horror movies. Sure. You go to shutter and you'll see a lot of extreme violence, but I feel like, for the better part of the last decade, a lot of the, the more popular horror films have been rated PG-13. There have been haunting movies, mm-hmm. you know, conjuring sort of stuff. True. Where, you know, some of those are scary. I'm not saying that's a bad oh, yeah. thing. No, a lot it of those can work are, great. A lot of those are incredibly good movies. Yeah, there's no there's nothing, there's no the, shame uh, or anything. It's a PG-13 should just be whatever you get. You uh, but in so doing, we're skewing away from sort of the, the fun, schlocky violence, that grindhouse mm. uh, feeling that, uh, mm. you know, a lot of horror fans gravitate towards. Yeah. So maybe, yes, maybe... Ty West showing stabbings and death on camera and actual violence is getting at something. Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe, I, or maybe it's just we're we're hitting a new slasher wave, where we've mm-hmm. had films like uh, Halloween and Scream have come back, and maybe we're going to get more. Yeah, maybe well, it's I, just going to become just going to come back around again. What what a film like X really highlights, though, and this is something that a lot of critics of the slasher genre said during the eighties. Is that the genre, generally speaking, is pretty shallow. Yeah. Uh, that there's not a lot to this genre. And I think mm. that's kind of its appeal. The, the banality is the charm. The mm-hmm. fact that uh, we are just here to see human meat exposed and then stabbed uh, yeah. is is a, a big appealing I, element of, the sh- of slasher movies. I look at that as, as almost a genre challenge. Like, there's, there's certain limitations to the genre. There's certain expectations. Mm. And if you're going to bring anything new to it, you still have to hit all these beats. So you have to be really clever if mm. you're going to actually stand out and be interesting. You have to come up with, at the very least, a new location or a new uh, setup or uh, new uh, kills. At the very least. I, I suppose so. Uh, I, th- I find it But, but I'm, I'm watching something like X and I'm saying, oh, wait a minute. Uh, you kind of dropped a lot of the more interesting ideas Mm. and some of the big plot things that you were setting up in favor of that shallow violence. Mm. And I, I like shallow violence. Mm. Uh, 
if they're really going to run with it. And mm. I think Ty West does, but I feel like he was trying to get at something a little bit uh, more interesting. Ah. And in in cleaving to a lot of these slasher tropes, kind mm. of kind of uh, cut himself off at the feet a little bit. Oh. Uh, it's still an enjoyable watch. Okay. Uh, I know a lot of people are really sort of falling in love with it. Uh, Mia Goth is really wonderful. She yeah. is. Uh, I keep sort of, waiting for for her to break out. Like she's been well, I mean, good she, in the like so many things. She's but, been breaking out for the better part of five years. I know, but like when is when is when are like non horror fans going to recognize her by by just by seeing her? And about, well, she was an Emma. She was really good in Emma. Yeah, but that Emma wasn't a big hit. Though. I, I Emma was not, a respectable indie film, but it wasn't like she was in Emma. Yeah. She was in uh, Luca Guadagnino's Suspiria. Exactly. And she's in this one, and uh, yeah, she's like sort of this. She's a very interesting mm-hmm. young actress, and here she's playing two roles. Yeah. Uh, and uh, just for good measure, and uh, this isn't much of a spoiler, but there is a sequel tease. Oh yeah, uh, I've heard uh, about it. Yeah, and I. I, I Think the sequel might be getting made already. I heard that. I heard he might have already shot it. Actually, okay, they yeah, might have so. even shot it at the same time. Yeah. So, uh, if you like X, there yeah. might be more coming yeah. post haste. There you go. Uh, stick around through the credits to see everything yeah. that they're called they have W. Um, <laughs> no, it'd be Y. Another. Uh, another well, well, maybe it's a prequel. Uh, <laughs> the uh, there's another horror film in theaters this weekend. It's called Ama. Uh, it stars Sandra Oh, and it's from director Iris K. Shim, who wrote and directed the film. Uh, Sam Raimi produced it. Uh, and uh, this is, if you remember that era in like the 2000s where Sam Raimi was producing a lot of supernatural thrillers mm. uh, about people in somewhat isolated locations and ghosts, it's another one of those. That's not a bad aesthetic per se, but it's a familiar aesthetic. And uh-huh. it's something that if you watch it, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily have the punch of some of the the, the J-horror remakes of the era, like The Ring or The Grudge, uh, but it's of a piece. Sandra Oh plays a woman who is uh, a Korean immigrant and uh, she had a very abusive mother. Hmm. And now as an adult, she has an 18-year-old daughter, 17, 18-year-old daughter. Uh, and they live on a, on a big in a big house. Uh, Sandra O oh is an accountant, but they've also taken to keeping bees, and they're making honey in their backyard. I'm not gonna see and this the, film. It's covered in bees. It's covered in bees. Uh, but uh, the honey business is actually just starting to take off a little bit, and they're actually like selling online orders. However, they have to find out about this surreptitiously uh, through their delivery guy, who played by Dermot Mulroney, because Sandra O oh refuses to live in a house with electricity. All right. She's terrified of electricity, and she has told her daughter that electricity actually makes her physically ill, which hmm. is either an interesting and odd plot point, or it's an attempt to keep something from her daughter about like her own psychological abuse. Uh, the story really kicks off when all of a sudden her uncle arrives from Korea and says, your estranged mother has died. Hmm. You're a terrible human being for not being there with her. Uh, you are a monster and I hate you, uh, but she, you should have her, her remains. And if you cared about her at all, you would give her a proper burial, you horrible human being. And Sandro's like, get the fuck out. And so he gets the fuck out. And But now she's got an urn with her ashes and some of her uh, personal belongings. And now she is incre- not just haunted metaphorically, but literally haunted uh, by the ghost of her abusive mother who... Uh, was incredibly controlling and wanted to make sure that everything Sandra O oh did was approved by her. Meanwhile, Sandra O oh has a teenage daughter who's starting to a 
question her mother's unusual rules and mm. B starting to fantasize about going to college instead of staying at home and keeping bees with her mom. And, and so and, that and C becoming a panda and also becoming a panda. Sandra O oh is it, the mom. In, I, I, turning red. It, it is actually, in fact, and the idea of intergenerational supernatural trauma mm. being revisited upon children. And then maybe uh, this time, this part of the cycle, you'll be able to break out. This is actually a pretty solid double feature with turning red, at least thematically. Right. Uh, this is not as good a film as turning red. Obviously it's a very different genre. Um, I think Sandra O oh is giving a fantastic performance here because she, how, she's Sandra she O. Oh. Yeah, she's, she's an incredible actor, uh, and that's and that's fine. I actually really think um, the girl who plays uh, her daughter, her name is. I want to make sure where, where was it? Fivel Stewart. I think she's related to Boo Boo Stewart. Um, she's really good. Well, she's like Boo Boo Stewart is Kristen Stewart's brother. Yeah. No, isn't Boo Boo Stewart and Kristen Stewart? No, they were just in the same movie together. Oh, I thought they were, like, actually relatives. I don't think so. Let me look that up. And now I no longer trust myself. (laughs) Um, But in any case, uh, Five Old Stewart, this is a really, really good, like, it, it actually reminds me of uh, Kristen Stewart and like The Messengers, which I think was another Sam Raimi produced supernatural thriller, where it's just like it's just a good showcase for young talent. Mm. She's clearly got a lot of charisma. She's clearly bringing a lot to this role, which is a pretty straightforward teen wants to move out and starts yelling at her mother kind of role. But she makes it feel real. And I think it helps that she's playing off of Sandra O, oh, but they're good together. Mm. Um, all the pieces in this are fine. It just doesn't really come together very well. And I think it's because... Even though the the themes feel relevant, even though the acting is solid, even though it looks fine, it looks really good, mm-hmm. the scares are really kind of generic. Oh, the actual okay. supernatural elements of the film, once they start coming into play, are pretty familiar, bump in the night, mm-hmm. oh no, what was that? Mm-hmm. Mom, is that you? Or, is you? or you look like your mom now. Oh, mm-hmm. oh weird. That um, kind of thing. Kristen Stewart has three siblings. Uh-huh. And uh, her brother is named Cameron Stewart. Right. Not Boo Boo Stewart. Yeah, it's a common last name. Yes. Okay. My it, apologies. It, no, I, guess, I was I, under a misconception. Hey, it happens. It's, it's not the sort of thing I typically pay attention to. I, I used I to actually. think John Philip Law was related to Jude Law. They look alike. Uh-huh. But they're not. John Philip Law is his dad. No, he's not. <laughs> yeah, he is. Look it up. Look it up. All I'll right, wait. All right. I will um, wait. You're right. Boo Boo Stewart is not related to Kristen Stewart. That's right. But go on, go look up John Philip John Law Philip from Law. Barbarella, and uh, uh, um, they, they look identical. They, they do. It's weird. He wasn't. He, he was also uh, Danger Diabolic, right? Yeah, that was Diabolic. That, yeah, I love John Philip Law. He's awesome. Yeah. But uh, he's is he Jude Law's father? He's not Jude Law's father. Ha He has no children. I win. Well, <laughs> sorry, but he has no children. I don't know if he maybe wanted them. I don't know. It's not my place to say. But uh, in any case, back to Uma. Uma is a a middling supernatural thriller, but a pretty good drama about a mother and her daughter. Oh, and that's kind cor- of all. Correction: it He has a daughter. Good for him <laughs> and her. Uh, but in any case, uh, th- this is a pretty good like two hander drama mm. about a mother and her daughter. But as a supernatural thriller. It's not very thrilling. It's just not. It never really comes together in the scare department. And that's a shame because because of that, all the good work people are doing will probably get lost because this isn't being marketed as an indie drama about a mother and her daughter who keep bees. It probably should have been. I think if you actually remove the supernatural stuff and just make this a drama, it would probably be doing rather well right now. People will be talking about how good it is. But mm. yeah, the, the, because it's a supernatural thing, the supernatural thing is just sort of like, eh. Um, it's probably going to get overlooked. Bit of a shame. It's not a terrible film, but it never quite pops. So no, that's too bad. All right, but let's move on and let's talk about a new uh, horror film on Amazon mm-hmm. called Master. Uh, Master is 
uh, stars Regina Hall mm-hmm. as a professor at, at like a, a private uh, university somewhere in Massachusetts. It's, it's, it's a not, fictional yeah. Ivy League school on the lines of Harvard and Yale, and in mm-hmm. the and in the world of this movie, it's considered the most prestigious. Like yeah. Yale is your backup school if you can't get into this. And uh, she has recently been promoted to the position of master of the college, which isn't the same as president. Mm-hmm. It's just sort of this this high position in, yeah. among the faculty. And she's the first person of color to ever get that position, yeah. which is very important. And, uh, part of this gig involves uh, moving on to campus housing, and there's this rather large house that she gets mm-hmm. as part of her gig. Yeah. Uh, and she's going to actually like l- supervise a lot of the student body who are living on campus as yeah, well. Yeah. Uh, Running parallel to that story is the story of a student who's getting there for the first mm-hmm. time. She's played by an actress named Zoe Renee, and uh, she has just been told, and she's one of the very few people of color on campus. It's a mostly white campus. It's like you can count uh, them on like two hands. Like yeah. almost everyone is. White. And in fact, uh, Regina Hall has a, a line of dialogue about how when she was a student, mm-hmm. uh, she was only one of three people of color on campus. Right. And, uh, and people would always confuse them. So she's used to growing up in this world of academia, which is full of microaggressions or just aggressions yeah. and, uh, uh, about her race. And this young black woman is now moving onto this campus and mm-hmm. sort of like running a little bit of a parallel. And to add a little bit of a, a scary note to everything... Mm-hmm. Uh, she is moving into a room where someone has died. And someone frequently uh, dies. And frequently dies. Like, yeah, and, and indeed, yeah. at 3.33 a.m. on December 3rd, somebody always dies in that room. Yeah. Uh, it's also revealed that she's a sleepwalker, so she's going to be wandering around and scaring people in the mm-hmm. night. So yeah. there's a, a lot of nightmare imagery uh, in her story. Meanwhile... Uh, Regina Hall is also getting a few nightmare images of her own. Some weird haunting things are going on. Well, she's moved into a house uh, which has a long history of, uh, for example, servants, and before servants, slaves used mm-hmm. to live there, and there's a lot of leftover vestiges yeah, well, of, those, of, uh, of, that his- of that racist one past. One of the things she finds in the kitchen is uh, it's a, a tea kettle... Uh, it, it's, it's a, a racist it's caricature. It's a mammy, yeah. a racist caricature tea kettle. And, yeah, uh, they just left are, that. They just left that for that's her. It's just out. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's like just one of the things, and uh, those things are actually still common, and yeah, they're still around. In some yeah, you can get them country. antique stores and things. Yeah, and and find them in old people's houses. Yeah, they, they are yeah. just racist caricatures, and yeah. this is uh, this is something she found. She goes through a lot of like old papers and old drawers that haven't been opened for a long time. Yeah, and finds a lot of like racist imagery left over from the days when slaves were living in that house. Yeah, they've just been there like for for centuries mm-hmm. uh and also maggots yeah this movie has maggots galore yeah i first when i saw the maggots i thought we were going into more of a suspiria direction but uh, the movie is never that outlandish it's actually mm-hmm. a very muted film in a lot of ways well all of the horror uh, is incredibly abstract uh it doesn't really the rules of like the ghostly haunting stuff mm-hmm. takes like a, a really far back seat mm-hmm. to all of the uh just sort of upfront racism that's going on in academia. Now, yeah. the things that uh, the young student and the professor both experience at the hands of their white peers. Mm-hmm. And we use peers is, with they with their quotes. Peers, that is, and pe- people in their age group. In their age group, their jobs, mm-hmm. et cetera. Yeah. Uh, aren't nearly as bad as real life, I feel. Well, uh, I think they're intentional. Here's what I think is going on here. Mm-hmm. In a horror movie, a lot of horror movies, when they're sort of building up dread, yeah, uh, you, there's going to be a lot of meaningful moments 
clues, lingering images that suggest to the audience that something horrible is happening or will happen or that there's some sort of haunting. And the protagonists are often a little oblivious to that, at least until it's too late. We know we're watching a horror movie. We're watching for all of these details. In Master, uh, which is uh, written and directed by Mariama Diallo, mm. uh, those moments that you would expect in a horror movie are all, like to a one, portrayed as racist microaggressions or aggressions. Mm. They are all moments where people just say something racist, but they're all given with that kind of horror movie portent. Yeah, that you are they, surrounded by racism. Uh, you are You are drowning mm. in it. And as a result, um, it kind of just argues that they're the same thing. Like living in a horror movie and living in a racist institution yeah, are was, very similar experiences. Uh, I was reminded of um, of the film Bamboozled, weirdly. Mm. Um, because, seen that. Uh, Bamboozled is very much about how racist imagery and iconography is still a big part of modern entertainment. Sure. Uh, that that movie is about a, a TV executive, and he, he mm -hmm. wants to get fired, so he tries to put on like, and he's tired of the way um, black characters are treated as stereotypes in all of the shows he's been producing, as insisted by uh, his white counterparts. Uh, so he tries to go uh, get fired by making the most racist thing he could possibly imagine. He tries to put on a literal minstrel show and put it on television, and wouldn't you know it? It's a big hit. That's the mm. irony of that movie, and uh, the idea is it's drawing from these. Uh, very long, incredibly racist traditions of images of black people in entertainment and how those are still part of what we're watching today. Mm -hmm. I feel like this movie, Master, is very much about how all of these racist institutions in academia are just as strong a part of it today as it mm -hmm. was... 200 years ago and they're kind of like in their own little corner and like sort of festering they don't have to interact yeah, yeah. with the outside very uh, much they're just yeah, like and, let and people indeed, like uh, racism is just growing in there like a petri dish and then yeah, it's and just released into the world there's a there's a really stupid twist near the end of the film that actually i think distracts from a lot of that stuff it plays mm. in thematically but it actually is really clumsily handled mm -hmm. uh but there's a scene right near the end where uh regina hall is just sort of coming to a a a conclusion about what what yeah. has gone on in this movie. Yeah, and she's she's deciding for herself what has really happened. Yeah, here, she's yeah. just sort of like uh, it's sort of like a calming moment where she's just looking around a room. And, oh, that's uh, a great moment. And, and, yeah, that's and, good. And it's it's a very sad moment. Yeah, it's a very it's, bleak moment, but mm -hmm. uh, it's it's actually kind of the best moment of the movie. It, it's, it's, where it's the whole movie together. in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the whole movie builds to this one just very subtle moment of realization. It's not like so subtly you can't. You're gonna yeah. miss it, but it's just, like it's not it's, about mayhem or scares no. or a big. It, it's not about haha. We were all part of a murder cult the whole time. No, it's just like it's a really poignant thought, and I really like the very ending of the movie because there's really there's no she can't like solve the film, like she can't like run into the room with a hatchet and kill all the deans or yeah, whatever like yeah. that. That's not what this is about. That, that's it's, that's Black Christmas. Yeah, which is <laughs> the, the which is itself which is a good movie in of itself, but it's a very different take on this mm -hmm. kind of uh, uh, sort of academic horror. Um, this is this is more about just coming to a realization and making sure the audience comes to that realization along with you. Yeah, I think as a horror movie, it may be a little dry to a fault sometimes well, in terms of pacing. Yeah, it's, it's frustrating because there's all these scary moments yeah. and the actual 
like technical explanation for this stuff is like really poorly thought out. They yeah, didn't actually some... bother to lay out any kind yeah. of ground rules for what the ghostly stuff is all about. And I agree. Some of the revelations about what's really going on are some of them I think are fine. Some of them are sort of like, why did we even? Yeah, that seems there's, there's that a, seems like adding just a, too many wrinkles right at the end, and it doesn't yeah, really. There, there's a, a big twist, which is like yeah. totally unnecessary. I, I think part of it is, but I think the sort of the explanation for why we got there doesn't work. Yeah. So, but whatever, we can't really get into that without getting into spoiler territory. Um, so bits of it might be a little clunky just in terms of the plot. Uh, but I actually think in terms of the atmosphere and I think in terms of basically kind of almost like a critical statement, mm-hmm. like a, a statement of criticism, a social criticism, uh, this is a really potent film. Yeah, and I mostly really like this movie a lot. And uh, I think Regina mo- Hall in particular is really, mo- really good. Mostly, yeah. mostly. I think yeah. uh, I think it is uh, a, a little bit... It's, I think it stumbles a lot, but I think it stays on its feet. Yeah, I think uh, it ends well, which is important. I, I like, yeah, that final moment is really, really good. And uh, there's a few really good just nightmare images. Uh, like, I'll... Okay, there's a lot of maggots. Maggots can be scary, I guess. Maggots are gross. Uh, they're they're kind of gross. You don't Very wanna, few people are like re- into maggots. Like, like ooh, maggots today. And definitely find maggots. And yeah. Go, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Jackpot. How, how interesting. I'll, I'll Good for them. They'll blend these into my coffee. Hooray. I hope they uh, do well today. I hope they do well. <laughs> One day you guys will be flies. <laughs> Fly away. Uh, but uh, some of the nightmares were were nightmarish, and sure. I, I like movies that can sort of capture that that sort of illogical fabric of an actual nightmare. There's one really, uh, really great nightmare involving a tour that's going through campus and goes uh, while the protagonist is asleep. She's laying in bed asleep, and uh, like the tour goes into her bedroom and just sort of like tours her bedroom while she's in there asleep, and that's kind of scary. Mm. Uh, yeah, I think the monster stuff doesn't quite work. I think there's a little bit too much. This is like, needs a little bit of a brush up, but yeah. I I think a lot of what's going on here and a lot of the points that the filmmaker is trying to make about how racism as an institution is still underlining a lot of academia Yeah, uh, is, you know, salient. Is well, is well, is well put. Good, yeah. yeah, and well articulated. I, and I think if you didn't realize that when the movie started, I would hope you figured it out by the end because I think it's very well illustrated. I, I think if you were to actually do a little bit more of a deep dive and find out about actual racist institutions in actual academia, you'll find things a lot more horrifying than what's going yeah, on. Yeah, a little bit more, more overt, yeah, I think you'll yeah, find, than what's a, actually going on. A lot, a lot master, more overt and a lot of what's going on. Here, yeah. everything's like tries to be subtle and tries to mm-hmm. sort of. Skewer liberal guilt. Oh yeah, uh, and, and which is fair game. Yeah. De- oh, definitely. Yeah, but um, yeah. All right. Uh, I, I think uh, there is actually a much more potent movie to be made from this material. Mm-hmm. Not that Master bungles everything. No, but I feel no. Like well, there's there, there's actually a heck of a lot more that could. Be well, it's the more. first feature film. Uh, from Mariama Diallo, uh, maybe who, who wrote and directed who wrote and directed this, and I think it's a very strong opening, and I really want to see more from them, and mm-hmm. uh, maybe they'll only get better over time. I hope they do. Um, uh, speaking of uh, like a, a new uh, a new voice on the cinematic scene, uh, the new film from Kristen Verlinden mm-hmm. uh, is Alice, uh, and Alice is a ooh, this one's kind of hard to describe. so basically the way the movie is constructed. You're not supposed to know something is happening for a while. However, in the trailer, they just tell you. Mm. So I think it's okay to just tell you because the trailer doesn't mind. And without telling you, there's no conceivable reason why I think most people would want to watch this movie. Mm. Um, Alice stars Kiki Palmer, amazing actor Kiki Palmer, huge fan, uh, as a, a young woman living on a plantation in the South and she is a slave. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Johnny Lee Miller plays her quote unquote owner. He's a monster. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they live in horrible conditions and everything is just really terrifying. And, uh, Eventually, she gets pushed so far that she like hits Johnny Lee Miller over the head, and she flees into the woods, and she manages to get pretty far. Actually, like she's she's never been this far away from the plantation before in her life, and then she runs so far that she almost gets hit by a truck. Okay. <laughs> so basically, if you'll recall the movie Antebellum, mm-hmm. it's not dissimilar. But the difference okay. is that the oh, difference no. is that Antebellum. Antebellum is. Terrible. Antebellum is terrible, and I think Alice has severe problems as well, but I do think it does it better. Um, Antebellum is so enamored of its own cleverness in terms of trying to like misdirect the audience that it never even remotely engages with what it's actually about. And it ends up just turning slavery into uh, the stuff of crappy horror movies. Mm. Which does which does not only the film but also history, life, people who have suffered a massive disservice, and I think that same critique could be lobbed here at Alice. But I would argue that at the very least, the movie isn't trying to be purely exploitative about it. And what happens is we see Kiki Palmer introduced to the world of a hundred years later. It's the nineteen seventies, right? And she starts to. She gets picked up by the guy who almost hit her with her truck, played by Common. And she starts sort of seeing the world around her, and it, it's everything seems so different. And yet a lot of stuff is frustratingly similar, mm-hmm. uh, which is a not a not uninteresting point to make. And eventually, he, uh, he leaves her home for the day while he goes to work. Uh, and he basically leaves her with an encyclopedia. He, he thinks she's she, he thinks she has amnesia. He doesn't understand what she's going through. Okay, uh, but uh, she reads the encyclopedia. She starts watching television. Starts listening to music, and she realizes that she has a been completely even even worse than she thought. Had her life taken away from her. Okay, which was bad enough to begin with, uh, but also that she's missed a hundred years of liberation. A hundred oh. years of civil rights. A right. hundred years of uh, women's empowerment. All right, and. Watching Kiki Palmer go through a hundred years of liberation in a day is an interesting idea. Hmm. She handles it well. All right. That whole bit is really the only reason why this movie seems to exist, basically. It's just, here's how far we've come and here's how pissed I am about the past. And eventually she enlists Common to come back in and save everyone else from the plantation, which is off in the woods somewhere hidden All away. Right. Um the problem with the movie is that fundamentally you're still treating slavery as a plot point. Like you're you're engaging <laughs> yeah. with it, you're engaging with it more thematically, which is why I think this is at least better than Antebellum. Hmm. Uh, and it, they they realize what they're doing. They're making the specific choices about it. And again, I think Kiki Palmer is so damn good in this movie. Uh, but you're still treating slavery as the stuff of some kind of vague entertainment. And it's it's never treated as fun, obviously. Uh, it's monstrous. And Antebellum never treated as like fun either, except for monstrous people. But but this and, and Antebellum just luxuriates in it a lot more than Alice does. But it's still awkward to even attempt a story like this. And I think they're going for a fable like quality. Uh-huh. Uh and maybe on some level that works. And I think your mileage might vary depending on um how sacrosanct do you think certain material is in terms of mm. how it should be handled on film? That is not my place to say. Uh, but I do think that this, like Antebellum, 
it's going to push some boundaries there. Um, I think it's more effective in terms of what it ultimately concludes with in terms of how it sort of thematically explores and leads to the empowerment of her character. Uh, but I think it's misguided hmm. and I don't think it entirely works. Um, it's an odd film in a lot of ways. It might be worth some, for some people to check out, but um, yeah, this 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 is just a, this is a strange film mm. in a lot of ways. But at least it's better than Antebellum, which is, which is <laughs> well, fucking well, awful. Well, lots better than Antebellum. Which is just but, yeah. fucking awful. Um, and uh, moving on, so I've seen two other films that are on Netflix, and I'll try to burn through them pretty quick. Mm. Uh, so because these are very different films. Uh, next up is a film called Rescued by Ruby, uh, which is a new film from director Cat Shay. Oh. Uh, who is a very good director. They had previously directed Poison Ivy. Mm. Uh, they had previously directed uh, The Rage Carry 2. I like The Rage Carry 2. The Rage Carry 2 has actually found like a bit of a cult following finally mm. like 20 years later. I, 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 I remember seeing it in theaters and I like you yeah. liked it at the time. I still think there's some really clumsy bits in it, but like it's, mm. it's better than you might think based on the title. Uh, directed a film that I think I think this is there's a couple of similar films coming out at the same time. Directed a film about uh, sex work uh, in like 1990 called Streets, uh, mm. which I think I saw that one. It was quite good. Mm. Um, and uh, those are often films that she would make about uh, sort of like the rot hidden underneath mm. the facade of suburbia or, or civilization, society as we know it. Uh, Rescued by Ruby is not about that. It's about a guy who adopts a cute dog. Uh, Grant Gustin from the TV show The Flash uh, plays a state trooper. Uh, he has um, uh, he has a series of, of, of mental issues, including I think he has like uh, what does he have? I think he has like ADD and like a couple other things that just have made made life kind of hard for him. Mm. And he's always had to work like ten times as hard as everyone else to like get good grades, get on the force, whatever. But his dream uh, is he wants to be part of the canine unit. Mm. That's what he wants to do. It's a it's a it's an awesome job as far as he's concerned. Yeah, yeah. You get to help people. You get to work with dogs. Pays better apparently. It's it's really good. And he's been trying to get on that unit for a long time. Mm. And this year he's finally allowed like to try out. Problem is they can't afford one of their special dogs that they like import from Europe. Mm. Uh, however, there's nothing that prevents him from using his own dog. Like technically any dog could do the job as long as the dog could do the job. So he goes to a, an animal shelter. And he rescues a dog named Ruby, who has had trouble finding an owner. Hmm. Ruby is like mostly border collie, like I think mixed with a few other things. Uh, and uh, Ruby's Ruby's a dog. <laughs> Ruby wants to play. I I. <laughs> Ruby likes to jump up on the bed. Ruby likes to make a mess. <laughs> Ruby's a cute dog. Ruby's fun. But he's too much. To, she's too much dog for so many people because they have to like. Oh, you mean we? You mean when I bought a dog, I had to train it a little. Fuck that! <laughs> and they keep bringing Ruby back, and like this is like Ruby's last chance, and the shelter will like put her down if this guy doesn't keep her. Uh, which weirdly enough, they never tell him. Hmm. <laughs> that's only that's only audience knows that. So like we're just rooting for. Come on, Ruby, learn how to find dead bodies because that's a lot of the job. <laughs> so a lot of this movie is Grant Gustin and an adorable dog learning to love each other while training to find things like heroin. Guns <laughs> and dead bodies, which is actually, actually which yeah. is which is an interesting sort of uh, uh, take on it. And a lot of the movie is about him, like once they actually get the gig, which happens later. It's based on a true story, by the way. Uh, you know, part of the thing is they go to a murder house and they can't find the body, and will the dog be able to find the body? And I'm like, <laughs> people were mad at turning red for like, oh, the conversations we had to had with our kids about mm. things like puberty, you know, stuff like 
Like that pretty happens, common happens to people who reach a certain yeah, age. Yeah. yeah. Whereas there's this family film on Netflix, which like I'm much more concerned about explaining how many murderers are in our neighborhood because that's an odd thing. The movie just treats I, in a well, blase manner. I, I mean, that just sort of stems from a, yeah. a general anxiety about yeah. sex and a, a little bit too much comfort with violence. I understand that. I just think it's ironic and we need to keep pointing it out. Um, it, it it plays like a family film that would go straight to video, but it plays like an unusually well-made one. Uh, the tone is a bit all over the place, like some of the crimes that are being committed or, or children are missing and in peril. These are serious things. But then there's also like an old man who only seems to talk to our protagonist and half of the movie you're, expe- you're expecting to find out he's a friendly ghost mm. <laughs> who's like trying to help him like, I am the spirit of dogs everywhere and I was trying to help you find your spirit dog or something. And No, he's just an old guy later on he talks to people weird uh i remember i was uh, interviewing um the director of the only living boy in new york okay uh, which is a terrible movie about a rich privileged kid who starts sleeping with his dad's girlfriend and he's also going to be the most brilliant writer in the world and he moves into a house on his own because he's a teenager but he's rich and he can afford it and it turns out his neighbor played by jeff bridges is the most famous author in the world but he's also reclusive but we never see them interact with anyone else Mm. like we never see jeff bridges talk to anyone else and I kept expecting the twist to be, this is all in the kid's imagination. Hmm. And that never happens. And I asked Mark Webb, that's kind of weird, isn't it? And he's like, that the guy never really interacts with anyone else. I kept expecting to find out like he was all a figment of the guy's imagination. And Mark Webb was like, actually, in an early draft, he was. Oh, and I'm uh, like, we well, just cut that out? It's <laughs> <laughs> so weird. Um, so it's always odd when that happens. But anyway, listen, it's a cute movie. It's a cute movie. It's a got a bit more adult undertones than you might expect for a movie like this for, mm-hmm. for children. Uh, and uh, so, you know, be aware of that if you're going to watch it with your kids. But um, yeah, as a sort of a, a guy finds dog, dog finds guy, mm. they make each other better kind of movie. It's okay. It's no Airbud. Which sounds like a joke, but Airbud's actually a really good movie. Like the original Airbud's very well made, it's pretty, pretty well put together. Yeah, it's, it's actually well like a, it's actually yeah. like you watch it today, and you're just like, it's wow, like interesting they, characters. It's, yes, it's, it's about shot a, very well. Like yeah, it, the, the photography is great. There's actually like good basketball fundamentals. In that yeah, like the whole bit about Airbud playing basketball is actually a very small part of the original film. Uh-huh. Like it's 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 in there, but it's like maybe one fifth of the movie. It's really weird. Um, so it's not as good as that, but um, it's it's okay. It's okay. It's a family movie. You, you can't be mad at it. So there you go. Um, and then the other movie I saw, and this movie is such a great discovery, and nobody that I'm really following has been talking about it. Uh, this is a movie called Love and Leashes, which is a Korean film uh, by, and I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Hyunjin Park. Okay. Wrote and directed. Uh, and it is a story about uh, two coworkers, um, uh, a, a young woman who is working at, a, at an office and a, a new young man who is just joining the, the, the team. And they they seem to be into each other. They sort of like got a little attraction going there. But what she discovers is that he is into BDSM. That's his mm. only thing. And he is a sub. Okay. And he's, that's all he's interested in. That is, su- submissive, yes. looking for a dominant. Yeah, yeah BDSM uh, is a topic that is often egregiously mishandled in cinema. Uh, in particular, Fifty Shades of Grey does a very poor job of it. <laughs> yeah. um, it's a, it's a something that is actually relatively common, and there's actually a lot of really healthy and um, uh, uh, sort of uh, etiquette and rules around it, and people who are actually living really wonderful lives, very happy mm-hmm. uh, in dominant and submissive roles and playing you know rope play or all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And there's no judgment here or whatever, which is rare because Hollywood often judges it. Mm-hmm. This movie does not do that. 
This is a guy who uh, his previous girlfriend found out he was into BDSM and thought he was a freak. Um, and told him no one's ever going to love him and mm-hmm. she ran away and he's really traumatized by that and he thinks no one ever is and so what he ends up doing is he ends up asking this this young woman at his office i don't want to date you mm-hmm. but would you please dominate me for one month mm-hmm. so it's kind of like those is, movies is this, it, uh, explicitly sexually dominating no. him or like just there's it, a sexual element like a, to it but there's domestic no, domination. they're not going to have they're not having sex okay that's not having uh, there's a sexual there's a sexual element to it but they're not having well, sex yeah um, like there's like there's a bit where like you know she like puts him in a collar and he eats out of her hand that kind yeah, of thing which yeah. is very the way the movie films it whether or not you're into this it's it's very intimate and it's very mm. very arousing and um it's basically like any rom com you've ever seen where someone pretends to be someone's boyfriend or girlfriend or husband for like right. a month except here we I want you to engage in BDSM with me but without any relationship responsibilities without anything at all. And it's basically just you get to try something out and I get what I personally need. And over the course of the film, they grow closer and they explore like the, the limits of that. And, and then it leads to, you know, some revelations about their lives and they fall for each other. And, it's really good. Like it handles uh, BDSM very responsibly. Yeah, I was, was going to say that that sounds like something that could have been yeah. played for laughs. It could have, been. and there's like, there's humor here. Uh, but, but it's no, but I mean, it's, like yeah. that is like objectifying the BDSM. Yeah, exactly. something kind of freaky. It could have been yeah. that, and then it would have been. And I think a lot of uh, filmmakers would have gone for those easy hmm. othering kind of jokes. And it's, this isn't about that. Okay, this is about someone who is just genuinely into BDSM, mm-hmm. someone who is new to it but going for it and really interested, okay. and finding that it's actually kind of their it's it's not their only thing but they're interested in it Mm -hmm. they're supporting characters who are exploring it as well there are people who aren't actually following the rules of bdsm like the healthy rules of bdsm and they're taking they're they're actually taking a task for that within the narrative um and and it it has humor it is a romantic comedy but the humor never comes at the expense of the kink the humor is just because the like anything kink can be funny Mm -hmm. and they do that while still allowing it to be kinky allowing it to be sexy but never really feeling exploitative. It's just a romantic comedy where this is their romance, and it's yeah. really it's a... healthy and good. It's a good <laughs> romantic. It's a you you buy their relationship yeah. in it. There's it's really a... sweet. To go back to X for a minute, yeah, and, you know, just sort of go into what this film seems to be about. There's this weird divide uh, between sort of our view of how we're going to film sex. Yeah, uh, it's it now there seems to be this weird puritanical element when it comes to. Uh, non-pornographic films, mm-hmm. mainstream for lack of a better term. Yeah, movies films. that don't feature explicit that don't, sex. Don't feature explicit sex. Yeah, where uh, a lot of filmmakers and a lot of audiences mm-hmm. are now kind of like deliberately eschewing that. Yeah, and like they're self-imposing the haze code now. It's really weird. It's like yeah. we don't want anything really edgy in our entertainment anymore because all of the sex is now cordoned off over into a, like. Like this shameful pornographic corner. Yeah, if you want sex, and there's uh, porn, but yeah. it, otherwise, they a lot of films. And there's 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 starting to be some pushback to that. Deep Water came out this week yeah. as well. Uh, well and, but and like that's, a couple, it, there's uh, yeah. you know, uh, Benedetta, uh, sure. the Voyeurs. You know, some, some yeah. sexy movies have been coming out here yeah. recently. In but the they they always feel like the outliers right now. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, and yeah, you're right. The majority of mainstream movies, especially made in Hollywood, are 
there's a certain sexiness to some of them where like, Hey, don't I look attractive in this? And I'm like, yeah, are you going to do anything about that? No, no, (laughs) (laughs) absolutely not. There will be very little touching overall. There's uh, there's a big, big, big difference between sex and sexy, which is sort of like playful, flirty, teasy, wheezy kind of, yeah, not necessarily sexual. Nothing wrong with sexy. Nothing wrong with sex either though. Absolutely. Um, it would be nice if we had a little bit of both is my point. Yeah. I, I find it incredibly telling that uh, there's a, a certain colloquialism about English going on right now where people are calling movies horny and not themselves. Mm. They're not saying this movie made me horny. This movie They're itself is the a movie, horny the thing. The movie is a horny thing. The movie yeah. is feeling all the horniness But the implication me. is that you're enjoying that. So surely you're horny too, right? No one is arousing you. No one is saying yeah. I watched this movie and it made me horny. They're yeah. saying this movie is like the horniest movie I've ever seen. Well, I think, well, people, I think mm. on some level people are being very, very careful because... Uh, overt well, displays of sexuality can be, but they want to seem lascivious. Yeah. They want to make people uncomfortable. They want people to feel objectified, yeah. and there's, that's definitely part of it. And we're sort of kind of reworking the language. Well, I understand it, maybe pulling back a bit while we see how sexuality needs to be played yeah, in well, a more modern uh, environment. Well, maybe that's something we need to do. But I think it's also time we start a, making those experimentations. Yeah, and this is a really good example of that. Something that's really curious is the language of kink is now being used to make sex seem more innocent. Mm. Um, you'll, I, I, this is something else I've noticed. And this is just like anecdotal. This is from like yeah. my own personal experience from like social media and stuff. But uh, someone will see an attractive actor or actress or, mm-hmm. or uh, a performer on screen that they find just unbelievably hot devastatingly attractive and what they will say is something like i want them to step on me mm-hmm. you know that's that's a kink thing i've that's, never that's, actually heard someone say that outside of I, kink but maybe i'm just not following uh, the yeah, thing uh, on Twitter. It, there was yeah maybe not okay. <laughs> yeah no I've, I've heard that a lot okay like on online, right. I, uh, I believe you i just i don't have the experience so, some now. like online groups i belong to i see that. it's like oh i saw this attractive mm-hmm. person i want them to step on me i want them to hurt me okay it's well like, that's that, what well, you're that's, into cool that, okay. and, and that's the language of kink and this is sort of like used as code for i want to have sex with that person uh, maybe maybe it's also denotion of like direct denoting of yeah kink, maybe but, maybe it's maybe we're just getting more comfortable being open about but that. it's that all would be nice. but it's also being used as this like shorthand yeah. for oh, vanilla yeah. sex which is a little a little bit yeah. odd. Uh, John Oliver has a running bit with um, Adam Driver. Oh yeah, it's like I, I wants, want you wants... to bend my knees backwards, you human tree. It's like <laughs> right. that's okay. That that's kink language. It is kink language, yeah. and he's and to but, be fair, John Oliver Oliver never pretends it's not. Yeah, he says well, like no, it's it's it's. He's like people ask me, is it sexual? Yes, <laughs> yes, it is. Um, if I, if I were a horse, <laughs> like, I, that yeah, he, he goes on, but like, mm. but in any case, and and I think there's something to be said for, and again, I think there there is there there are people in, who don't have sex in their lives and they don't want it, mm. and there's something to be said for that, you know, that being presented as well, asexuality. Uh, or gray sexuality, if, or, or if you're uh, not as rigid about it. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that either, but it does feel like, you're right, we've sort of moved along. But I think the idea that, um, oh, well, people didn't like to experience uh, sexual feelings in public in like a crowded room in a theater, maybe that made them uncomfortable, and so they've gravitated more towards porn online, and so we put less sex in movies, would make more sense if we weren't watching most of our movies at home on streaming anyway. Yeah. So I'm wondering if maybe that's gonna we're gonna start realizing that no people are mostly watching this at home now. We can we can uh, maybe yeah. do so maybe if like Deep Water does really really well for Hulu, mm. they'll be like, well okay, let's just do more of that, more, you know, like more, more we, and we and, and we can make, make yeah. good. Please, they don't have to be just pure smut. 
they could also be that too. But oh, like, I was, I was gonna say that's, that, that's nothing inherently wrong with that. But we, it's also <laughs> nice to have classy films too. That's a fu- that's a fine thing to make. I'm just like, saying the idea it has uh, to be all or nothing is really yeah, frustrating, yeah, yeah. and incorporating these things in a more healthy manner is really good. And I think Love and Leeches is a really great example of a movie that takes a, a genre people consider to be a, a, almost oppressively innocent, mm. the conventional rom com, but includes BDSM in a way that is respectful of BDSM, understands that BDSM is supposed to be sexual. And also manages to maintain the innocence of a rom-com because it's not about prurience. It's just about what people are into Mm -hmm. and how that sometimes makes life difficult, just like everything does. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a really, really good rom-com. And I Mm -hmm. hope people check it out because it's really good. Um, So on that note, we're going to move on to uh, reviewing our films on our critically acclaimed scale. We review films on a scale of C- to C+. So we'll never be on a poster. Uh, But the idea is this. Most movies are a C. Some good, some bad. Better for some audiences than others. Just mixed bag. Average. A C. That's when we give a movie a C. If a movie is above average, either we just genuinely recommend it or we think it's the best movie ever made or anything in the middle, that's a C+. And if it's below average, we don't particularly recommend it or maybe we think it's the worst movie ever or anything in between, that's a C-. On that note, Love and Leashes, which is on Netflix, came out a few weeks ago. I'm giving this a big old C+. All right. A really rock-solid rom-com that's doing something, re- it's doing I, something I, I, very progressive yeah. in a very healthy way. I, I that think, doesn't uh, feel like it's just trying to preach. It's actually just incorporating it into rom-coms very well. A, a film that is able to sort of approach kink as if it's not a pathology yeah. is really nice to hear about. Yeah. Uh, and also... I know a lot of the rom-coms is we're going to pose as like a traditional nuclear vanilla right. relationship and that's kind of what we're we'll, where we'll end up and it yeah. sounds like that's not that either. No, it's playing with that idea of a storyline without really doing it and I think it's really good so I hope people check it out. Uh, next up, uh, Rescued by Ruby. Um, it's a C. It's just, okay. it's, it's, it's not well made enough that you have to go see this but it's not like so, it's, not, it's definitely not inept. It's just, it knows it's sweet there's a bit of an oddness to it because it's a sweet film about a guy training a dog to find human bodies. Mm. Uh, so that's kind of weird, but it's not as much of the film as I'm maybe making it sound. It's just an odd thing you'll have to run into. Um, but it's a cute little film, and certainly you could do a lot worse. So I'll just mm. give it a C. Uh, Alice, uh, I think I give Kiki Palmer's performance a C+. I think I give the film making a C, but basically the way that it's structured and the way that it sort of comes together it's hard not to give it a c minus so i'm gonna ultimately have to give it a c minus just because this is a weird hard sell for a lot of people mm-hmm. uh, however i think some people might vibe with its wavelength so you know caveat emptor there um next up uh master what did you think of master uh, master i'm gonna give a c i okay. think there's some interesting ideas i feel like it doesn't go here in in, mm-hmm. in a lot of uh crucial ways yeah. but i think I liked I like sort of like that final revelation. It's a little bleak. It's not a very hopeful message. No, no, it's a horror movie. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, it is it is a horror movie, and there's a lot of lot of death and horrible things in it, and there's a lot of good scary moments throughout. Sure. I think we're on our way to getting some like really great work from this filmmaker. I agree. Uh, I agree. There's some, there's some promise here, and I really enjoyed it. It's an incredibly one. promising debut. Um, I think it's a very intelligent film, and I think it makes its points mm. incredibly succinctly and incredibly well. Uh, but I, it's and I'll, I'll deal with this in a second. Uh, as a as a horror movie, um, it's kind of just okay. Yeah, and I think that sort of brings it down to smidge. So we get a very high C. All right. A very, if this sounds like it, you're exciting to you for you, it might be a C plus. But I think overall, very high C. Mm. Uh, on that note, Uma, uh, the new uh, horror film starring Sandra Oh and Fivel Stewart, 
also works very, very well as a drama. It's a little underwhelming as a horror movie, and actually it's kind of a lot underwhelming as a horror movie, but I think it all balances itself out. If you ended up watching this at some point, I don't know if I'd run out to a theater, you have to go see it. Mm-hmm. But if you ended up watching this at some point, it's a pretty lean 90-minute, you know, supernatural drama where the horror elements kind of underwhelm. So I'll give it a C. Mm-hmm. Just a, just a un, unremarkable C. Uh, the the good is sort of balanced out by the bad. Uh, X, what are you saying uh, with X? Uh, X, I'm going to give a C. I, I, it's it's too stylish to really ignore. It's actually you know kind of exciting to watch. Okay. I feel like um, it it could have made its point a little bit more strongly. There's actually a, a, some interesting concepts in here that they could have played out a little bit more. Uh, it goes for mayhem when it was promising me a little something a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I don't necessarily need to be led down an expected path, but it's upsetting when they imply that they're going to give me something more interesting than what I got. Yeah. Uh, so I was a, a tiny bit let down, but, uh, you know, it's it's certainly not a bad film. Uh, right. So I'm going to go to see. All right. Then lastly, Deep Water, the mm-hmm. latest film from Adrian Lyne. Um, I also, this is another one that's kind of a mixed bag, but mostly I really got into it. I actually really thought uh, the way Adrian Lyne uh, played Ben Affleck and Anna Diarmas's uh, relationship as the central mystery and the all the murder is kind of the incidental side stuff mm-hmm. uh, really got me. I think it's a it's a, it's a handsome production uh, with some good performances, and I think it kind of flies off the rails a couple of times once the plot takes over, uh, which is to its detriment. But I'm going to give it a very low C plus. I actually do okay. recommend checking it out, even though your mileage yeah. might vary. Yeah, I, I, I again, not kind of predictable, but I also yeah. give it a C, yeah. uh, just be, because I think the, the the plot doesn't resolve in quite a satisfying way. I think uh, there's there's some fun things in it. I do appreciate its sexuality. I do appreciate uh, Ben Affleck's performance. I think he got, does some really interesting things in He's here. He's good in this movie. Uh, people give him some credit. Tracy yeah. Tracy Letts is so just good. pretty much universally fantastic so in, in most of the films I've seen him in. Yeah, uh, yeah, and he's he's good in this one too. Uh, it it's not groundbreaking. Mm-hmm. However, it's not uh, no, I wouldn't not, say not really sort of like cracking through or sort of like really giving yeah. us something about adult sexuality that yeah. we can really confront. It just sort of implies a lot. It's just a mean-spirited. Yeah, I, I appreciate thriller, the yeah. mean-spiritedness. Uh, mean-spiritedness. Yeah. I wanted it to be more frank about its sexual matters. I ah. guess that that's that's maybe the, the clearest way to put that. All right, well, fair enough. All right, well, that is it for critically acclaimed this week. Uh, stick around; we got a lot coming up this week. We're going to do a special episode sometime this week where Whitney and I uh, predict the Oscars. Just for fun, doesn't really matter, but it's fun to talk about. Mm. Uh, we'll talk about various films that were nominated. We've all seen at least most of the nominees, mm. uh, and uh, so we got that going up. On the next critically acclaimed, we're going to be reviewing uh, the new films. Uh, oh, is it the Lost City comes out next week? So we'll be talking about that. Oh, That's yes. the Sandra Bullock uh, uh, deal, caper caper adventure film. Yeah, and uh, oh, and everything everywhere all at once is coming out. I hope I get a chance to see that. So it looks really interesting. Um, yeah, the- it's a multiverse film starring Michelle Yeoh. Yeah, she's like tri- tripping between different universes. Yeah, it sounds, I, I've heard good things. Hopefully it holds up. Uh, so we got that and a whole bunch more uh, coming up on the next Critically Acclaimed. Uh, feel free to, uh, if you want to talk about anything we discussed in this episode, feel free to drop us a line. Best way to do that is to send us an email. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We might read your email in an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail. Whitney, if they prefer to send us an actual letter. 
which we have a few of this week, actually. I'm looking forward to getting to those Uh, on this week's episode. Send us an actual physical piece of paper in the mail. Send it to Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Mm -hmm. If you want to get a whole lot more episodes of Bibbs and Whitney, you can head on over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. We have a lot of exclusive shows there. Uh, We're uh, reaching the end game on our epic journey through the 1960s Batman. Mm -hmm. We're reviewing every single episode, and we're going to do about a half dozen of the big follow-ups that Burt Ward and uh, uh, Adam West did. Uh, so we're doing that. We are doing a podcast reviewing every single film ever nominated for Best Picture. We're about two-thirds of the way through the 1940s. Uh, we've got commentary tracks. We just did one for Leprechaun. Uh, and we do all our yesterdays. We review every single episode of Star Trek in order. Uh, so there's huge backlogs of a lot of those. You have like hundreds of hours of content, like just yeah. waiting for you if you just sign up now. Uh, you you um, said it. You said content. I know, but what else? Uh, podcasts. It's hundreds of hours of podcasts. Conversation. Sure. Thing, analysis. Chit chats. Insight. That's what they should have called podcasts. Just chit chats. Chit chat. Chinwag is one I've always been nice. fond of. Um, so that that's all available for you. Patreon.com slash Critical Acclaim Network. We're on Twitter at Critical Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And uh, that's a wrap. And uh, we'll go now. Goodbye. Everyone's a critic. I want to go to the midnight show. I'm sorry, what?